You're now listening to the Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. I am Nathan, I am your humble and obedient host for all these episodes. Nigh on many years now, I have been that... And Ben, right there, he is Here the preacher who's a teacher of sanity. That's right. Here I am. And there's one other guy here. There is. A fella. A dude. A man. I was going to say that. A mensch. You took it out of my mouth. You t- I took mensch out of your mouth? You did. <laughs> Oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> Indeed. Listen, why don't you... Yeah, I don't know any Jewish words for introduce. Why don't you introduce the man, the myth, the legend himself? I will. It's Jacob Menzel, the pastor who's a master of sanity. Morning, Jake. Morning. Gentlemen, what is making you feel insane in the membrane today, if anything? I feel pretty sane this morning. Yeah, me too. Huh. All right, thank you for listening, everybody. No, we have at least one thing to talk about, which is some Disney Junior Dinosaur show. What is this? I just showed up in my Twitter feed, and I. it's the latest example of... Just the kind of, hey, you can't trust Disney, you can't trust Netflix, you can't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll just play this video. I don't know what the show is. It's on Disney Junior. It's three kids and they are observing two male dinosaurs sort of playing house around a couple of rocks. Very little kid animation, CGI kind of, Bob the Builder style. Yeah, this is um, tiny. So... Here it is. But those aren't eggs. And and these dads, which is how they're referred to. Oops. It's how they're referred to in this video, are being very affectionate with each other and nuzzling each other and stuff like that. So every time we see them, that's the kind of thing that they're doing. Yeah. So that's the video, and I don't know how well you heard it, but it's just two two male dinosaurs nuzzling each other while standing over a couple of rocks that they're pretending are their eggs or their family. And now these kids are going to solve the problem because these would be great dino dads because mm. clearly they love each other, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're going to go and apparently, which I've not seen it, this is just, just that's the clip that was posted on Twitter. They're going to go and take the excess eggs from other mothers or from other families so that these two male dinosaurs can be dads <laughs> together. Wholesome children's entertainment. Yeah. Disney Junior. So that's all. That is the kind of thing that Disney has said that they want to do and the kind of thing that Netflix has been doing. And so shouldn't surprise anybody, but there is no show. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a boyish little show with dinosaurs and kids in cowboy hats. They're going to push their their agenda on your kids. I think it's nice to have examples like that in your mind because if you are talking to people like us, you will never, you can have a discussion about Disney gr- grooming and stuff like that and, and no one's going to disagree with you. It just seems obvious. It's what they say they're doing. It's what they do and it's what they've done. But when they are confronted with it, their tactic is to say, no, we don't. Why are you accusing us of grooming? And you can actually, I can at least, be caught flat-footed by that because it is so brazen because it's, it, it's, it's just, it's the same thing that they do with schools. No, we're not. We're not grooming. I mean, they just, yeah. you'd think that would be easy to deflect an argument like that, like, but all you can really say is, well, Yes, you they, are. They control so much of the language in the media of how these things are talked about. So when it comes to Florida's bill to prevent your 24-year-old first grade teacher from talking to your five-year-old son about, or six, six or seven-year-old son about sex, mm-hmm. they call it the don't say gay bill. Right. 
right? And then it's about erasing marginalized groups, marginalized sexual people, minorities. sexual minorities. Mm-hmm. It's about erasing and suffocating and trapping these poor little kids and making them conform to gender norms or whatever it is. And and it's you, you take a step back. All the bill is actually doing is preventing some fresh out of college, 24, 25-year-old sexually debauched person from talking to your six-year-old about sex. Mm -hmm. No teacher of first grade needs to be talking to your six-year-old about sex. And the bill just keeps them from doing that. Nor would it occur to any teacher who's not a zealot for the cause. That's right. That's right. And so, but they control the language. And so, when you come to a question of grooming has been a great label and now it's one that they're coming at from from multiple angles, but 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 that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. But the articles that say we're not grooming, just describe grooming over. You you read, I think the Wapo maybe did a big like it's not grooming or, or one of the big liberal outlets. I mean, they've all done them, but there was a big one mm-hmm. about how it's not grooming. And what that article is is just description after description after description of grooming, and they just redefine the terms and say, yeah, it's uh-huh. healthy sexuality. Yeah, well, well, part of what they the tactic then is, oh, you know. You, you, by appending that label to people who, who are just trying to talk to your kids about sex in healthy ways, what you're doing is you're actually undercutting the real grooming that happens when kids are being talked to and introduced to sexual things by perverts mm-hmm. who, who are trying to sexualize them and do bad things. with it. So, they, they'll make it the individual case. They'll make it like, the bad uncle who takes the kid into his lap and uh-huh. puts his hands in uncomfortable places and acclimates the kid to things that the kid shouldn't be acclimated to, mm-hmm. right? In a very physical, personal way. And, and they'll pretend like there's some great big barrier between that and talking to the kids about sex and acclimating them to the language and ideas of sexuality at an age that is inappropriate for anybody to be thinking about those body parts except for when they go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Well, and even if you wanted to make an argument, I do not, and I don't know why anyone would, but even if you wanted to make an argument for mommies do this and daddies do this and like like for introducing the facts of life to a kid that young, that's not by and large what we're talking about. We're normalizing perversion. Yeah, and again, all the bill does is say it's the parent's place. Mm-hmm. So decide the wins and and hows of that sort of thing, any way that they want. Yeah, <sighs> but Disney wants your three, four, five, and that's what this show looks like. It's pitched to kids ages three to six, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I don't. I mean, it's Paw Patrol, or yes, it's it's uh-huh. it's Paw Patrol. Mm-hmm. So they want to introduce those ideas and those concepts to your kids at that age. And that is in fact grooming behavior. Right. Yeah. That's right. It doesn't matter if it looks cute. You just can't assume that anything is innocent out there. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's the point. And it's a point that we've been saying for years and point that I guess we are going to feel like we need to keep saying, because I think that probably the value in pointing this out is I bet most of our listeners do a pretty good job of keeping the controls on what the kids watch at home. Mm-hmm. Then when kids go to grandparents' houses and things like that, grandparents aren't as tuned in. And they may be Christians. They may share the same concerns. Grandparents still want to just turn on Disney mm-hmm. for the kids. And this right here, this video may be a good tool to just show grandparents, say, hey, look, this is why I, I really don't want you to flip on Disney or Nickelodeon for the kids because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not it's not safe anymore. Right, we're an HBO family. Yeah, <laughs> not that it was ever safe, mm-hmm. but it's much less safe today than it than it ever was. And I threw Nickelodeon out there for a, a second, and I was just like, man, has Nickelodeon ever not been groomy? Mm. I mean, the kinds of shows you guys have to understand, and this is the kind of thing that nobody wants to to admit, but the degree to which butt humor has become central to the humor we introduce our kids to is in fact grooming behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, it's, it, it's a very pro-gay because it is introducing kids and acclimating them to think about butts in a way 
that is unhealthy yeah and not normal and not according to their normal god-given use and so you've got me thinking about butt humor now there's there are different levels i would say because uh walt disney in his early work this is a total tangent a butt humor tangent but you watch snow white and the, and the seven dwarves the way that the dwarves are designed and animated their entire center of gravity revolves around their butts they're always falling on their butts their people will poke things humorously into them i mean that's porky pig that's mickey mouse that's and i don't have a problem with that that's that's just somebody understanding comedy and little characters and low center of gravity i mean my my toddler walks like most of those characters do she falls on her butt all the time and she likes those characters and kids like those kinds of characters but then you look at Ren and Stimpy. You look at the entire... Ren and Stimpy's exactly who, what popped into my mind as soon as Nickelodeon popped out of my right. mouth, huh. right? Well, Ren and Stimpy was just a perverse adult show. I mean, it's almost a bad example because it's so extreme. I mean, the, the more interesting case to make would be the Rugrats or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know Nickelodeon that well. Hmm. But, but Ren and Stimpy was just vile. And it was just like, here's a butt. Ha ha. Isn't it funny? Isn't it kind of gross and funny? and yeah exciting i mean there was just something very groomy about that well so you have bounds of modesty and propriety right Mm -hmm. and those correspond to a healthy understanding of sexuality and so this is a kind of thing that um yeah i remember being in a parenting class once i think it was taught by stephen baker or somebody and he was talking about how your kids from a young age are violators of all Ten Commandments. And somebody's like, how can a kid who's not sexualized violate the, the commandment, the adultery commandment? And he started talking about the connection between modesty and that commandment. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which just being vulgar in relation to those body parts are is immodest and it is a direct correlation to that commandment and often trends that direction Mm -hmm. so that the kids that are immodest and immodest in their humor about anything or just perverse in their humor Mm -hmm. end up being the ones that are also sexually debauched once they become sexualized. And I think it's true. And I think that, that, I think that a lot of these studios have understood that mm-hmm. for a very long time, understood it better than Christians have. Mm. And so they've focused on on every place they can get the, a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. They take it. And so that's why something like Sing, which I've not seen, but you just watch the trailer comes on or whatever mm-hmm. for Sing, and you realize this is a movie that is going to specialize in butt humor mm-hmm. huh. and probably have a gay character somewhere in the center of it. And or play with the trans or with drag, that sort of thing. Well, and it's interesting as a, huh. as a cultural sign and signifier, it's, 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 it's interesting that butts would be the thing. It's obvious once you think about it. Like if you're going to attack sexuality and if you're going to groom and if you're going to show a sexual body part, you've really got four options. You've got one thing on a man, one thing at a woman. You've got breasts and then you've got... The one thing we both have in common. The one thing we both have in common and the one thing that is a sexual body part and it's in a way but is also other thing it's just it's 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 just neutral enough that you can kind of kind of slide in there and have a excuse have plausible deniability mm-hmm. you can't do i mean everybody when when bugs bunny dresses up like a woman and he's got giant breasts there's no question what bugs bunny is doing and what taboo he's violating and what he's trying to arouse in elmer fudd and I think parents have always been a little bit uncomfortable with Looney Tunes adult sensibilities with that kind of stuff. And some people just give it a pass because it's Looney Tunes. But I think everybody's it's like, oh, from, you know, the a long time ago. It's old, so <laughs> it's it must old, be yeah. clean. But then if someone's a little bit smarter than they're, that, they're like, oh, Bugs Bunny's dressed like a really seductive lady in a slinky red dress with giant curves. That's not good. But it's obvious. But But then... But stuff, you can kind of be like, well, you know, is it? And, and, and you can, listen, it's just not hard to make a connection between the lesser family-friendly movies and studios and the degree of butt humor, mm-hmm. right? 
you're going to get more butt humor from DreamWorks than from uh, 90s or early 2000s Pixar. Mm -hmm. And that's, and you're also going to get things that are much more crass across the board. And you have to be able to connect that and understand they're doing things. They're trying to do things Mm -hmm. with that. It's not incidental. Every decision in a movie is on purpose. Every scene, every shot, every joke, every line, every glance, everything is on purpose. And it's in there on purpose, is constructed, mm-hmm. and it's constructed for a reason. This is why you should listen to our podcast, Sanity at the Movies, by the way. We talk about this stuff every other week, I guess, when we release mm-hmm. an episode. But I think one of the age-old questions is, is Hollywood an evil cabal that wants to, what's the word? I lost the word, that wants to destroy my children and everything holy? Or are they just kind of doing what they're doing because that's, that's who they are? And yes, yes, the yes, the answer is yes. I mean, the answer is more and more. They are an evil cabal that says, hey, we're having meetings. I mean, there was the Disney thing, the expose that just happened right. where somebody filmed a Disney meeting where it was like, I am an LGB person with a trans daughter and I want to create more content like that in order to change the conversation in America and make people like this stuff. Let's start a propaganda wing. I mean, it was that I don't think they said propaganda wing, but they said everything else in those words. So there's that. We have the power to change the way that uh, the world looks at this stuff through influencing children who consume our content. Let's enhance our intentionality about this across the board. I I also think there's an awful lot of people that are just simply guilty about their own depraved lifestyles. And when you're guilty about your own depraved lifestyle, one thing that you do to justify it and to feel better about yourself is draw other people into it. And so they're not directly trying to create propaganda. I would put somebody like Spielberg, actually, with all his blasphemy, which I hate in his movies. I don't think it's that he hates God. I don't think that he, it's that he wants you to hate God, uh-huh. necessarily. I think it's just that he feels very uneasy about his relationship with God. And so the more he can kind of deaden your relationship to God, the more, more, the more he can have a character say, GD this or, or the name Jesus Christ, the more he can kind of feel better about his own seared conscience somehow. And I think that's historically been a lot of it, and that will always be a lot of it. Ultimately, the result is exactly the same, though. It, I don't know that it even yeah, matters Hollywood that much. has always been led by perverse people. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the way that things are going to go. It doesn't need to be a conspiracy for things to go that way. But like Nathan said, more and more. Conspiracies are the way, I mean, people getting together, deciding to do things is also part of the way things happen. And <laughs> when it happens with bad people for bad reasons, we call that a conspiracy. Yeah, once <laughs> enough bad people get together and say, hey, we're all on the same page here. Why don't we actually work a plan instead yeah. of and develop our agenda and we can be more effective and efficient than just sort of haphazardly processing our own demons and doing it. Well, look at how much we've accomplished just by processing our own demons. Right. What if we were all intentional and on the same page and made a concerted effort of it? I mean, I think the, the, the reason conspiracy is maybe an unhelpful word is because in my mind, at least it conjures people in robes around a dark fire a virgin is dragged screaming out to be sacrificed and then the Have high lord of darkness. Have you seen the footage of Bohemian Grove, Nathan? Well, yeah, exactly, Jake. That's <laughs> exactly where I was going. A conspiracy can just be... Have you seen the movie Dragnet, Nathan? <laughs> yes, I... Well, unfortunately. <laughs> no. I've seen most of it on TV. That was a bad era of movies, can we just say? That, that whole... Uh, we're going to do a thing that Grandpa is nostalgic for, but we're going to try and update it. They did like the Beverly Hills with Ernest and they did the Beverly Hillbillies and they did uh, Return to Gilligan's Island and they did the Brady Bunch and Flintstones Flintstones was terrible. The the only arguably kind of successful thing like that was Adam's Family, which I I seem to recall was... I'm glad we live in an era now where we don't recycle IP from 20, 30 (laughs) years ago. Or wait, no, we live in an era now where we recycle IP from 20 or 30 years ago, and this has never been done before. Right. Or wait, <laughs> no, wait, we're doing it poorly for the first, are we doing it well for the first, I just- I think I'm, we're doing- I'm getting so confused. I'm glad we works. live in an era, which is probably about to end, where we're recycling our IP <laughs> <That's> <laughs> instead right. of grandpa's IP. Top Gun. 
That's my IP. You know what I think actually happened? I think Batman was so big and people actually mistakenly saw that as recycling IP. They were like, oh yeah, Batman. It's that thing, that TV show I grew up with and now we're making one for the kids. But it's dark. Right. Which isn't actually what happened with <laughs> Batman. It's not, that's not actually the story of Batman. But I think that's the way a bunch of studio hacks saw it. And so they're like, well, Batman was a thing on a TV show in the 60s. So was the Flintstones. People like that. Thanks a lot, Tim Burton's Batman. You did a lot of damage, Tim Burton's Batman, for being a crappy movie anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But compelling. That's right. So I turned it on not long ago with the kids around, not intending to watch any of it, Mm. except for the opening scene, just because I wanted to re-experience. It had been years since I had re-experienced that opening scene. I remember the very very first time I saw it was at the drive-in with my dad. And my parents were like divorced or just recently divorced or in the middle of the divorce. And it was just me and dad and my little brother who was asleep in the back. And so it was just this like big epic to me being like five or six years old when it zoomed out and I realized it was the Batman symbol. It was like the coolest thing Mm. ever. Yeah. And so with Danny Elfman's score there just being as epic and ominous and foreboding and cool as any dark hero score of all time Mm. i was just like i wonder i I don't remember what maybe it was probably it was probably i had just seen the batman it was just like okay i want to now that i've seen the batman i've seen yeah batman actually is cool Mm -hmm. like i'd forgotten how cool batman can be i want to go back and revisit this opening scene Mm -hmm. so i did i just flipped it on because i thought all the kids will think this is cool too or maybe they won't i don't know it'll be interesting to find out and then the movie kept going mm-hmm. and kept going. And then I suddenly realized we're oh, all no. sitting here engrossed in this terrible movie that is like going to go into some really creepy dark places and I just have to shut it off. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, I just sat, when I flipped it off, I just thought this movie is so oddly compelling. It really is. It's, it's really oddly compelling. It's like, one of those movies. There's nothing about this movie in and out. Like if there, you, there's not one thing about this movie that you like. Mm-hmm. Like if you take any scene, any thought, any memory of it, yeah. none of it has a positive. E- even Nicholson has done boring. so much, has been such better Nicholson and other things. And like, it's, it's, it's kind of subpar it's Nicholson. It's, it's all. And yet every five, 10 years, whatever, I go back to it like, like a, like a moth to the flame. Like it, it is just one of those things that. Yeah. So, so I turned it off. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, I didn't finish it. it and I've not had any desire to go back. Mm. But I know that if the kids are in bed and I go back and I'm just like, yeah, let me just see. Once I hit play, it's going to be over and I will right. be there until the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, I don't, I don't quite understand it. I, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to figure it out. Patrons of Sanity at the Movies are going to have to make me do it. Mm-hmm. But which I'm excited about getting there because I think it will help us unlock a lot about the relationship between our culture um, and our and our movies and ritual and meaning mm-hmm. as we've talked about it and been developing that whole concept over there and we've talked about here some at mm-hmm. sound of sanity but yeah patrons of sanity at the movies got to get their butt in gear yeah speaking of speaking butts. of butts <laughs> get those butts in gear <laughs> see what we did there and it's ha-ha. all connected isn't it funny that we said butts i just feel like i should okay groomer okay groomer i just feel like i should say though i just feel like i should play the part of the person that's listening to this and I know there's probably some who are like, wait a second, you went from saying Hollywood is a cabal of Satanists, you, you were kind of joking <laughs> about that, but, fact, but, yeah. but more or less, you said they're, it's, whether they mean it or not, they're, they're grooming our kids, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly, you were waxing nostalgic about a stupid movie <laughs> and, and trying to tell us to go listen to and give money to your movie podcast. Do we really need a movie podcast to tell us that movies are terrible and bad? <laughs> so here, <laughs> yes, here, you here, do. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. If that is you, if that is you, just do me a favor. Get, get an app or a piece of paper. Get a piece of paper and a magnet and put it on your fridge. Mm-hmm. Okay? And write down today's date. And then every single time... Every single time you and your family over the next two months watches a movie 
or an episode of a TV show or anything on TV, go put a little mark. Go put a little mark on the piece of paper on your fridge. And if within two months you come back to me and you have fewer than five marks, great. I accept your criticism. But if you have five marks or more over the next two to three months, one, you watch more than my family does. <laughs> and two, you need help thinking about it and learning how to think about it with your kids. Because what you're doing and what you're telling yourself is, I am morally superior to the arts and entertainment industry because I get that it's all bad. And therefore, I can passively consume as much of it as I want to whenever I want to and not have to think about it because I've already made an external judgment that it's bad. And what that is, is refusing to engage in the art of discernment. And this is what we do in every place in our lives. We make decisions about what content is good or bad. We try to do all of that work up front so that we never in the moment have to engage in the process of discernment. And so if, you, if you're watching anything regularly, yeah, what Jake didn't do is ask you to make a mark for every YouTube video, but, but what I think it would have been fair for him to do. Every YouTube video. Every Instagram story or reel. Every time you engaged with visual moving pictures that were trying to sell you on an idea, which is every time you engaged with moving pictures, you, you really ought to be making a mark on that piece of paper. Mm -hmm. But we'll be nice and say a movie or TV show. Yeah, what... what what we do is we, we're so good at kidding ourselves and deceiving ourselves and making ourselves feel morally superior because we've made decisions in our brains that Hollywood bad, movie bad, TV bad. Okay, I've, I've made judgments. Now I feel good and I feel morally superior and I feel right. And then we go and we're like, yeah, but sometimes you just want to watch a movie and yeah, it's a good, wholesome family movie, and I've, it, it fits in a category in my brain that I am okay with because it's old, or because I enjoyed it as a kid, or because it's animated, or, or it's G. because it's rated G, because we trust the, some rating system, or because of any number of, of, of things. It fits in a genre that I think is wholesome, because it tells a hero's journey story, because it's it's got men and women with men and women roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the number of people that, and, and part of why I'm, I'm, I, I want to give this challenge is because some of the very people who, on the one hand, have said to us, I don't watch movies, and I don't understand why you do a movies podcast, also come back to us with the most outlandishly absurd, awful movie recommendations full of wickedness of every stripe but they've got the one thing in that movie that they feel morally justified by. That's why I spent so much time ranting about- That to give a huge pass over the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why I spent so much time ranting about The Northman, which is a movie that conser the conservative world has embraced simply because it doesn't have a woman with a sword hitting people and uh -huh. doing martial arts. It has masculinity, real it, masculinity on display. And you can listen to our episode to see what bunk I think that is. But what a reductive, stupid take to say, yay, we finally have real masculinity from the Viking movie. Yeah, and that's the product of people with no discernment, but who look for a moral principle that allows them to justify an indulgence. And again, that is the nature of not having discernment. Mm. It's the, it is the definition of refusing to have discernment. I, I, I make a, a categorical judgment that if it has a, an element that I approve of morally, I can swallow the whole, or if it has an element that I disapprove of morally, I can reject the whole. That's just not, that's not biblical wisdom and that's not biblical discernment, but that's the way that we want to approach things like entertainment. It's a very immature, childish, undiscerning way to approach it. And it's understandable that you have an immature and childish way of approaching it because you've never been taught to have a mature way of approaching it. And the whole genre of moving pictures is new and the church hasn't engaged it in a very thoughtful way. That's what we are trying to do. And so the movies that we watch, all we're trying to do is have some kind of case study for us to hit up against ourselves and for us to teach ourselves and you and bring you along with us as we work out how to understand and engage with any kind of moving pictures in a thoughtful, discerning Christian way. And 
If you are an absolutist about this and say, no, all images are a violation of the second commandment, then you had better hold true to that. And if you hold true to that, great. I respect that. Excellent. No moving pictures for you. You leave the room if somebody turns on a TV. You don't have a TV or a phone in your house or a computer screen or whatever. You're a Luddite. Okay, that's a decision that you've made, but you still have to find your way forward to engage in the world that we live in. And so, okay, that's your way forward, but... Is it going to be your kid's way forward? I mean... Right, so... Are we actually talking to any Luddites on this podcast of that stripe? Well, they're presumably listening to this on some device, and that device is capable of giving them... Images as well as images as well as anything else. Sure. I think it's so. worth saying though, because I think there's people that tend that direction and that like to listen to these kinds of podcasts, and so they have that kind of suspicion of like everything imagistic. But certainly, there are people who feel like life would be better and it would be easier if I could just finally talk my family into making that decision and to pulling that trigger. I uh-huh. think I think at the very least we've got that. So I mean, I in the last couple of months. If it has not been for this show, with one exception, nobody in my family has watched it. That's just the way that our life is right now. And it's happy for that. But the point of watching it for the show is so that we're constantly learning and growing and how we engage in these things. And when you have an artifact that is 30 or 40 years old, whether it's Jaws or uh, Jurassic Park. Those or are the two we've got coming out next month, so... It's instructive because it tells you things not just about the art of movies, but where movies have been and where movies are going. And therefore, where culture was, where sexuality was, where morals and mores were. In the interplay between the two, Mm -hmm. right? Like, how much are our movies a reflection of our culture and how much are they leading the culture? And it's always a both-and question, right? And so, that allows us to engage with what's in theaters now and how kids are seeing those sorts of things and hitting those sorts of things. And it doesn't take a degree in film or a certain number of hours of sanity at the movies to watch this clip that we played for you at the top of this podcast and say, that's bad. Shouldn't let my kids watch it. Mm -hmm. But you do want to be able to engage and teach your kids to engage in every kind of media across the board in a thoughtful Christian way. And that's a big part of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a blank area in the churches. The churches has not cared, right? In, in, insofar as the church has cared, it's been like classical education is good. Therefore, old books are good. Read old books, good. And so we have a whole show called The Bookening where we're engaging with classic literature. And guess what? Not, old bo- not all old books are actually good. Or good for you, or good for your kids. Well, you even you read something that's been so anointed, so people may draw so many Christ allegories and something like the Odyssey, and it's just like, oh, braggadocio, revenge, murder, sex, 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 violence, sex, sex, adultery, adultery, brutal revenge, like over the top revenge. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe we could argue about the suitors, but I mean, come on, it just goes on and on, bloodbaths. And people don't even... Nobody has ever read the Odyssey and fantasized about being trapped to the goddess Circe's bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, come on. And nobody's ever read the Odyssey and thought, man, that guy looked at my wife wrong. Wouldn't it be cool to put an arrow through his neck yep. and then slit his girlfriend's throat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. And then all of his friends. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my son Telemachus, we're just going to just destroy everybody. But, but here's the other bath. thing that's worth saying. The Odyssey has lasted this long because it, it is compelling, because the poetry is gorgeous. And you have to deal with that, too. You can't just say, well, this is a bad thing, but we need to examine the bad thing. Discernment requires you to say, well, okay, what is actually beautiful about this? Why, why do we love movies so much? What is compelling about this art form? What is interesting? What is, what is worth valuing? 
if anything, and you can't be cheap like the Gospel Coalition and say, well, it's because it's all reflected in Jesus or something, magic wand. Just like the chips in a vending machine are an allegory of Christ if you want them to be. Right, that you can be cheap. Which is an actual article that the Stupid Gospel Coalition published in the last month. That's right, one that we didn't... I guess, but yeah, yet, but yeah, 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 maybe it's um, like you can't parody this stuff anymore. No, yeah. I, I'd actually like to do an episode about the vending machine. Maybe we'll get to that, but because I think it's actually, no, I think it's yeah, interesting. There, there's something there to but, talk about but, besides the it's stupid of it all. Right. I have some sympathy for the dude that wrote the vending machine article. I will say that much as a teaser for this eventual episode that maybe we'll do. But in order to engage with movies, you actually, because I think somebody might hear us talk and then they'll go to our podcast and they'll be like, okay, why are these guys saying this is wonderful? Or why are they excited about this? Like, what's, where's this coming? I thought this was just going to be analysis, discernment, and cold, hard facts. And and, and what I'm encountering is that they like some of this stuff. They like Jaws. Yeah, exactly. Jurassic Park was a seminal moment in their childhood. They said the Batman was a good movie. Don't they know what the that the Batman has stuff? Stuff? Yes. Yes, we do. I know that the Odyssey has stuff too, but in order to deal with the Odyssey, I have to deal with the fact that the wine dark sea is an amazing phrase and that it's got all these things that we like I I have to be able to put use real discernment to put all those things together in my head and then accept, reject or do something with it. And that's just part of it. Yeah, and and the fact is like Again, when it comes to art and pop art, for goodness sake, y'all have kids who have this thing called AR goals at home. Mm. Listener, do you have a kid who has an AR goal? That's advanced reading? Is that what that is? Yeah. It's no accelerated. Accelerated reading. Accelerated reading goals. They take all kinds of books. They assign grade levels and point levels to the books. And then they incentivize your kids you have they have to meet ar goals every quarter or every semester and it's all about point accumulation and then they have their libraries and we've talked about this at length in various other episodes of sound of sanity but your kids my kids i have seven of them now in school all all of them have ar goals that they have to meet every quarter and access to a library at their christian school full of trash and easy cheap points and a, re, a real poor, poor evaluation mm-hmm. of, of points. And so you look at so, some, some classic, like Charlotte's Web gets f- way fewer points than like a Hunger Games book. Really? Yeah. Or whatever else, a Rick Riordan book. Because whatever. whatever their metric is for length, for word count, for, sophist- for exactly. language. Exactly. It's like exactly. E.B. E. White is short and his he probably he is writing at sentences. a third grade letter level as opposed to the sixth grade level that Hunger Games. <laughs> it, we did a whole, I don't know if we ever did this on an episode or behind the scenes, but we did a whole evaluation or maybe we just did it in Slack, yeah. but a whole evaluation of just like classic, excellent, wholesome books versus the kinds of young adult tripe and the point levels. And it's like they're incentivizing your kids to read all kinds of trash. And they're blowing through it fast because they're getting their point goals and they're doing it sometimes in school or in the school library during their library time. And you're not evaluating everything that they read and it's not possible to. And it's really, really challenging to stay ahead of all your kids and what they're doing because the schools don't care. The, Christi- the private Christian school doesn't care. It cares about results. It cares about points. It cares about incentives. It cares about test scores. And... So your kids are consuming trash. Mm -hmm. They just are. And there's very little that you can do about it, except be aggressive and proactive as a parent, which we've done. And we've been the bad guys in multiple cases where we've said, hey, there's a rape scene in this book. Did you not know that? Take it from the library. But that's me. I have to do that. I have to do that. My wife has to do that. My wife has to figure that out, right? And it's like, or my kids, Thank God some of my kids have a tender enough conscience. They'll be like, yo, this book has this in it. And But the point is, you, your kids are not growing up in the same world that you did. And they're going to inherit a vastly different world than we have now. Even, mm-hmm. And they've got to be prepared to engage with all kinds of propagandizing pop art from right. all different sources, from all different sides. 
whether that's in books and literature, music, movies, TV shows, social media, TikTok, whatever. Well, and one of the reasons they have to put up with all this is because you grew up with a bunch of pop art that was propagandizing you and you let it and you didn't think about it. Yeah, that's what I was just No one ever say. thought a thing about it. Yeah. No. And so then you think it's okay up to a point. It's okay for them to be pro- propaganda- propagandized to the point that you were. Mm-hmm. But no farther. Which is exactly what the Daily Wire is doing with their entertainment division. They're not trying to create new art that's good and wholesome. They're only trying to reset 20 years. There's, or, or maybe 40. Maybe, maybe back to James Bond circa 1965. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, that's like 60. That's, that's, but, that's like 60 years, yeah. Yeah, I guess, man. We don't live in the late 90s anymore. No, do we, we don't. Do we, no, gentlemen? We don't. We don't no. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we live in, we're going into the middle of the 20th, first, the 20th century, the 21st century. Wow. Uh, like the dinosaur, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> but like, let's get Gina Carano to play instead of their style of feminism, an older style of feminism is just like so depressing. But <sighs> yeah, I really think we have. We have inherited, well, this just sounds like a disrespectful thing to say, but I mean, our our parents weren't taught to think carefully about movies and mm. we've, we've inherited their lack of discernment and I'm not trying to be a jerk to my parents. I'm just, it's just a fact that people hadn't thought through images unless you were a, a New Yorker film critic, in which case you understood exquisitely every perversion right. and approved it probably. But it was like, those were the choice. The choice was turn off your brain and see whatever you'd decide is still okay, whether it's Disney, whatever, or be a New Yorker film critic that approves of every exquisite perversion. Like those were, those were the only two paths that you had. Or, or shut it out entirely. Or shut it out entirely. Yeah. But what we find is that the people who say they shut it out entirely or pretend to shut it out entirely don't actually do that. Mm-hmm. And so you have this whole category of person who's just an absolute unself-aware hypocrite, right? I reject television and moving pictures, except that I binge them when I want to, mm-hmm. undiscerningly. But I still reserve the right to be critical of you if you ever watch them or talk about them. And I would never listen to Britney Spears' hymns to fornication. I would only listen to Jimi Hendrix's hymns to fornication. Exactly right. Oh, oh, exactly oh. right. Let's good, hold for applause. Good, good job, you. Well, it's just the exact same thing over again. You've not actually advanced the conversation and figured out how to take those next steps. And so, okay, somebody's got to step outside the cycle and figure this stuff out. Somebody's got to got to got got to work their way through this stuff. Um, and work it all out. And we're the heroes that you need. <laughs> right. <laughs> or not. It's not that every episode we've ever done is perfect. It's not that Sanity at the Movies is a perfect show done by perfect heroes. But I, I do feel like we're trying and trying to exist in that arena, recognizing what the arena is at least. And unfortunately, I don't see a ton of that out there in the Christian world I mean, if I want something insightful about movies, I do go to the Pagans first. I think we'd probably all agree yeah. with that because... Of course, nobody else has given it a time or thought to it. The, the closest that you get is... Brett McCracken, right? Brett McCracken, exactly. And the best that he's got is I have learned from my biblical theology class how to read redemptive art... Uh, the Old Testament redemptive in a redemptive historical fashion. And from that, I've been able to extrapolate and read a movie script mm-hmm. in a redemptive historical fashion. Which is just so and so I can do the art of biblical theology anytime that I watch a movie and see, I've been trained to see only redemptive historical arcs. And all of that, a lot of it is straight up actually borrowed from just Carl Jung and his disciples. Mm-hmm. And people don't even know it. People don't know that's where it came from. People don't know the degree to which the modern b- biblical theology movement is inspired by Carl Jung. And it's not that it's wrong, but they just haven't developed the ability to see and understand scripture or life or movies or movie scripts in a more mature, broader way. And this is the kind of thing that you have to be able to think about if you're going to think with any kind of genuine discernment 
or any kind of genuine criticism when you come to come to things like that. It is not a revelation that most movies have a redemption arc that's by design. Mm-hmm. And you can sit back and be a complete ignoramus and Dunning-Kruger effect your way to, to thinking that you've got some kind of insight. But I don't know, why don't you read an interview with George Lucas talking about how he designed Star Wars from the beginning? It would teach you much more about the way movies work than sitting back and trying to apply a couple of uh, hermeneutical principles that you vaguely remember from seminary to a movie. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. Uh, sorry, I'm just disgusted by that whole, I've got my redemptive historical shotgun. Hey, Tarantino. <laughs> 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 I brought down that bird. <laughs> Uh, pretty sure it's full of lead and you don't want to eat it now, but uh, whatever. <sighs> the other thing that I think that these guys could stand to do that would help them is try to create something. Mm-hmm. Just try. Try to actually create something. And the more you try to create something, and you don't have to be especially good at it. I don't care what people think about the Ville or Chip and Lance. I think they're pretty great. Mm-hmm. Try to create something and then try to do it without intentionality. Because what, 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 what these people seem to think is that these great artists just sort of like things pop out of them mm-hmm. and they don't understand them. They don't understand why or how the movie they wrote and produced and directed every single shot of and designed from scene composition to score to everything is the way it is. It just kind of happened and we need a Brett McCracken to sort of step back and let them know that they're actually tapping into their longing for the divine transcendent. Mm-hmm. It's like this like weird sort of concept, which we've talked about at length, especially on the bookening mm-hmm. of, of the genius and the way that all this works. Well, and even insofar as people, things do pop out of people, we want to think that therefore they're not derivative of that person's personality they're not based on that person's fears that person's sense of morality from from our work i remember one time i put in a script a character talking to themselves in a self-hating manner and jake's like why does why is this character doing that those two other characters did that and you had a scene like this here why does it why is everybody looking in a mirror and saying these things well it, it had never occurred to me in a million years like i didn't even remember doing it before I just write that way. It just popped out of me because I've looked in a mirror and talked to myself that way because I have that, I'm in tune with that kind of self-contempt, that, that brand, that style of, of self-contemptuous talking to yourself. And so a lot of characters have that if I'm writing characters and that's not a conscious decision, right? That's not a, it's, it's entirely intuitive. And yet it is a moral decision. It matters. It's painting a worldview. Like it it has it has weight to it. I mean, it was just it just sprang forth from the artist in this case. It did. But it, for one thing, I think we deleted it because we didn't want that to spring forth from the artist for this character at this moment. Yeah. I don't even remember what the I don't, I don't remember either, but it was just like it wasn't what we needed from that character. Yeah, at that moment. There have been other places where it's like, oh well, this person would have that self-contempt and it's absolutely who that character is and let it go. And maybe one of the reasons the character is like that is because this character is forming itself around the things that it, her, his or her author knows that's fine, but and not just fine, unavoidable and inescapable, unavoidable, inescapable and good. I mean, what, one of the things I have to offer is a, a primer on how self-contempt works and feels and stuff. Okay. Great, good. It's my contribution to the artistic world. But it doesn't mean that that doesn't have weight and meaning to it. It doesn't mean that there's not I mean it's it's ridiculous to even say that when I put it when I when I paint the process that way. It's like, of course. But somehow we have this assumption that, well, it just kind of came out of them and so it's just kind of its own thing. The characters are just doing things. The Camera's just pointed somewhere. The camera's just observing the things that it's just like people don't get the the concept of frame and shot Mm -hmm. composition that everything, like they they actually enter uh, the world of the movie so immersively 
that they can't even step out of it for their criticism. Mm-hmm. To, enough to see the camera as a character and a shot as being designed with any kind of... They, they actually think, for even for the purposes of their analysis and criticism, that the camera is passively observing a situation that happened to arise. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that they approach this sort of thing. The camera is just sort of capturing from a God's eye view these circumstances that happened and put themselves together. Which is just like if you've ever held a camera. I mean, Ben, you've done video work. I've done video work. It's like some of it may actually be somewhat passive in the sense that it's intuitive in the sense that or maybe sometimes you even just if you're filming a wedding or something. You set up a camera in the corner. You just let it go. But at some point, you're going to put that footage together. At some point, you're going to edit it. At some point, you're going to decide, well, the camera dispassionately happened to catch all these things. Does my audience therefore need to see all of them? I mean, the example I'm thinking of is just you set up a camera dispassionately. Let's let's say you put a camera in a corner to record a, a wedding rehearsal. What you will almost always get is a modesty because people are immodest all the time. Sometimes just because they dressed poorly, sometimes because they bent over or the camera caught them in the right direction. It's just, it happens all the time. If, you, if you're godly, or even if you're not, you actually edit a lot of it out in your life. Like you look away, you shift your vision, you see someone in your periphery and you let it stay in your periphery because you don't need to see that right now. Camera doesn't do any of those things. Camera just stares. But when you're going back through the editing, you could be like, well, okay, that person revealed something there or that person did something there. Am I going to include that? And it can be pretty easy to say, well, I'm going to let the camera be passive there because I want to include these things. I want the plausible deniability. But you're making a conscious decision every time. It's called editing. And so, yeah, it's possible. In a a big Hollywood production, if a woman in a slinky red dress walks by in the back of the frame it's because somebody cast her somebody dressed her that way somebody said choreographed it we spent hours and hours getting that little thing that your eye goes to for a second but even if we didn't even if we were just doing some footage on the shoot on the street and some lady walked by we still had to make countless decisions for that shot to end up where it was when it was that take I mean, I guess maybe the performance was just so good in that one close-up that had that one immodest thing in the bag. Our hand was forced. But that's bogus. Okay. So listen to Sanity of the Movies. No joke. Good show. One of the best that we do, in my humble opinion. Listen to the bookening for our other kind of, the other prong of our pop cultural criticism or more high culture in that case, I guess. We've got our high culture show and our pop culture show. And then we've got this show where the two meet in perfect harmony. What else? Go to patreon.com forward slash sanity to support this show. Be part of our Discord. Some fun discussions going on. We tend to dump notes and ideas for shows and links to articles and stuff there. And so you'll see stuff that never makes it to the main, to an episode like this, but is really interesting. And you'll get to talk to some nice, intelligent people, including ourselves. And is there any other business? No. Until next time. Stay sane.